one of the challenges that a lot of the project managers in the construction phase have is where do you fit all this smart building stuff? I mean, it's even government policy, right, to have the lowest bid contractor. And that's why you see so many crappy buildings out there that have this veneer of shine outside, but inside you look at them and they're horrible. And I think that that whole culture is sort of embedded into it. So if you have everything under one roof, then that's definitely the way to go in the future. You are listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders on how they create optimal value in a smart world context. We combine strategy and technology talk to absorb reality, embrace uncertainty, and to go from path dependency to path creation. It's smart cities, it's smart buildings, it's data strategies, it's construction, it's real estate and industry 4.0, and most of all, it's smart people. And remember, it's the data you don't have that will change your life. With your host, the future shaper, the ecosystem architect, Nicholas Wern. This episode is sponsored by Platform of Trust. I like Platform of Trust because it enables companies to create value from any type of data. Therefore, it saves time, money, and it's the perfect tool for companies who want to make data-driven decisions on data they can trust. They make it easy to collect, harmonize, and trust the data from different sources and basically any source that you want. And you don't need to hire 10 IT technicians or spend hundreds of thousands for a cloud platform because Platform of Trust can manage integrations and you'll see if something goes down in real time. Platform of Trust enables companies to take action based on the data that you can trust today, not tomorrow. Welcome to the Beyond Buildings podcast. This is the first episode of two with the incredible Osman Salim, who is a smart buildings cybersecurity specialist at Intelligent Buildings. Osman will describe interesting pieces of the smart building puzzle. And I agree that we need to ride the wave of change in the traditional building automation industry and get it to a level where people can derive more value from buildings in an easy, secure, and interoperable way. Have fun listening and remember to subscribe to the podcast and stay tuned for episode two. Welcome, Osman Salim. Thank you for joining the Beyond Buildings podcast. It's going to be great to have this conversation. And please go ahead, tell the listeners and myself who you are and what you do. My name is Osman Salim. I am a management consultant with Intelligent Buildings. I focus on smart building strategy and operational technology cybersecurity. It's a little different from traditional corporate IT cybersecurity. My background is in building automation control. I graduated with a degree in electrical engineering, started off at Honeywell doing building automation design, hardware design, software, commissioning, sort of did the whole whole cycle there. And then I moved on to data analytics in a separate company where we ingested data from buildings and organized it, assessed it, and uh, gave insights to our customers based on the data that we collected. And for the past couple of years at Intelligent Buildings, I've been involved with senior and executive leadership to formulate the smart building strategy of organizations, different fields, institutional, commercial real estate, data centers, to really come up with their smart building strategies, what that looks like practically, and how that's implemented into their uh, real estate portfolios. Perfect. Awesome. That sounds super interesting. So today in this market, so to say, with smart building strategies, 
Where does it happen the most? Is it in critical infrastructure? Is it data centers? Is it commercial real estate, which we're seeing sort of mass exodus from? Or what do you see from your position? Our focus mainly has been on commercial real estate. So this is any organization that directly manages or indirectly manages a real estate portfolio, whether these are corporations that have a global footprint and have real estate spread throughout the world, whether that these are property or asset managers, a lot of uh, pension funds and government organizations that have uh, real estate. So our work focuses mainly on commercial real estate, but we do have a lot of institutional clients as well. We have a lot of government clients. We have a lot of universities that we've worked with university campuses and corporate campuses. But yeah, the bulk of our work is in corporate real estate. What are the drivers right now? Has there been a change before COVID, during COVID, after COVID? What is it that you're seeing also from your background in terms of efficiency and analytics? Has anything changed there from just pure energy efficiency part to whatever that could be, like delivering true KPIs for whatever organization that you're working with? Please tell us something about those areas if you can. Yeah, for sure. I think if we go back maybe 10, 15 years, a lot of the conversation around smart buildings was around energy efficiency. And uh, this was hard to separate, really. The conversation of smart building technology really revolved around improving energy efficiency, saving energy, sustainability. These different areas have now sort of branched off into their own, like sustainability is its own thing and energy efficiency is another but this was the conversation. And what we've seen in the last, I would say, five or so years is a shift from primarily energy efficiency to tenant experience, especially on the corporate real estate side. There is a lot of focus now on improving the tenant experience, making people more productive. A very popular study was done by JLL, which is one of the large property management firms here. And they came up with this 330-300 rule and everyone sort of ran with it and really made extrapolations on it that sometimes were accurate, sometimes weren't. But all that study really said is that whatever a dollar that you spend on your energy, you'll spend 10 times the cost of that on your physical asset. And then you'll spend 10 times the cost of that per person. So people really took that to heart and ran with it. And I think the focus has shifted. That's not to say that energy efficiency has gone away. That's not what's happened at all. I think energy efficiency is really the table stakes. It's something that's a given at this point. That's the starting point. And then tenant experience is really that uh, step up where you're focusing more towards productivity. And in terms of uh, commercial real estate, I mean, I love the 330-300 rule. I think it's great. But for commercial real estate, what are the KPIs right now? You said like tenant experience, of course, and increasing maybe productivity for the tenants or the users of that building. But what about net operating profit and the financial aspects? Is that also a driver still? And what does that look like? Has that changed or has it been more important? How do these property managers companies attract people back to buildings? Because that's also a trend, right? But let's start with uh, what are the KPIs and the net operating profit and these kind of things for commercial real estate as it was, as well as what it is right now? I think that it really depends on the customer. And if we're looking at government or institutions, if we're looking at educational institutions, the profit motive might not be that high, quite frankly. Their goals are different. And this is what we like to do when we engage with a client is really find out what their goals are. A lot of them are focused on making things easy for their tenant or making things transparent. 
a lot of them, when we've gone to some clients and they've said, right out, this is a make money building. We are here to make a profit. So we're not interested in anything else, right? So anything that has a direct or indirect relationship to our bottom line that will help improve us in profitability and help us make money, you know, that's what we want to do. So it really depends on what the motives of the client are. How much of that is run through simulations? As in, okay, it's a short-term cost. In order to save money, make money, we need to spend money, right? And what is sort of like long-term versus short-term? Because I think like that rationale, I've heard it before, but those property managers that have had that before COVID, they're not necessarily in a great position right now because their buildings are totally underserviced. They're not ready. They're not flexible real estate, et cetera, et cetera. So what sort of like made them money more on a margin perspective ends up losing them potentially quite a lot of money because no one wants to be in those buildings. While as the other one side has, they've spent money because of tenant experience and those buildings tend to be better and people want to come back to those buildings instead of the ones that are broken and all these kind of things because there was a shift in supply and demand now after COVID. Well said. I agree with you completely. And I think that that's a really good point. One of the main challenges that we have as consultants in this field is that we're always asked for a return on investment, right? This is a common ask. And personally, for me, I mean, I hate doing it because a lot of times it's tangible. The return on investment is very tangible, especially on energy efficiency, right? And that's why the focus on energy efficiency is so much because within a threshold, you can calculate the return on investment. It's not so easy to calculate a return on investment when it comes to building experience. And so the return manifests itself in different ways. Like how do you measure productivity? And the studies that we've seen, studies that we've heard about and read about, really when you go into the assumptions and you shift focus from what the end result of that study is, you actually go into their methodology, you see, well, they have some very flimsy assumptions. I don't think it negates the entire study entirely, but it does call the question that there are some assumptions being made here that could or could not apply. And so that ROI or that return on investment that you're talking about may not really materialize for your particular organization. I agree completely. And this uh, classic one as well with smart city studies, as in which one is the smartest city, right? Depending on what factors. They can mean everything and nothing. I think Gothenburg was chosen as one of the most the smartest cities in the world. And it's not. <laughs> not by a long shot. I love Gothenburg. I live here, but I mean, it's not, right? So in terms of what you do for customers or what Intelligent Building does as well, running with these sort of what-if scenarios, is that something that you do or help them with? And if so, how is that being done? Because I think, like again, that's how you probably should do it, as in run simulations to see what's happening before it has actually happened, right? And to see, okay, if we do this investment in well, the 330, 300, I mean, as in productivity, well-being, what would be the return investment? And in what parameters do affect these changes, right? Is that something that you do or do you see that companies need help with? Because I've heard about it the last six months that now more than ever, we have to make the bets that actually pay off, right? And have that kind of environment is extremely important. Yeah, I think the past six months have really thrown this issue into light, the need for simulating solution or a technology before it's actually implemented, before you actually buy that. We work through these scenarios with our customers. Our point of entry for new buildings is essentially before the design process. 
you know, one of the challenges that a lot of the project managers in the construction phase have is where do you fit all this smart building stuff in the construction process? They have no idea. The construction process itself, if for an outsider, is quite daunting, right? There's an entire process stage. There's a schematic design, construction design, and then a lot of these stages as they go along, when you bring in smart building technology, they don't really know. The project manager has no idea where all of this goes in. And so a lot of times for us is really guiding the client through that construction process and, and understanding where you need to fit in the pieces of your strategy after you've made the strategy, right? That's why we try to start as early as possible. For other clients that are existing buildings, it's a bit of a different approach. And it's really around capital upgrades and equipment upgrades and as budgets become available. But the last six months have been interesting. These sort of scenarios where, okay, what is the way to move forward? What is going to be the impact of such and such a technology? I think that there are ways now and there are technologies out there that allow you to do that. But just a traditional mindset of property managers or of construction in general, I think it's worthwhile to have that discussion. You know, over the last 30, 40 years, the industry has been all about lowest bid. Get a bunch of people to bid for your work and choose the lowest cost. That approach is so seeped in now. I mean, it's even government policy, right, to have the lowest bid contractor. And that's why you see so many crappy buildings out there that have this veneer of shine outside, but inside you look at them and they're horrible. And I think that that whole culture is sort of embedded into it. And so, you know, we were working with this one client of ours down in the States. We got involved early with this client. This was a multi-asset development, sort of what you could call a mini smart city. And they had all these great plans about doing great things and we were excited. And then we made their strategy for them. The usual issues we just talked about, you know, where everything fits into place. We're still working that with them. But when they saw the cost of everything, it just completely shifted their entire approach. And said, well, you know, because they have that lowest bid mindset, right, to keep construction costs low. So I think that your point about those existing building owners that focused on the short term, that focused on making money, I think they really lose out in the long run. And those that did focus on tenant experience and maybe prioritize that over the profitability, that's not to say that they were not making profit, right? There's there's lots of money to be made. It's just, you know, how much do you want a certain amount? Do you want a little bit less than that? So I think those that focused on tenant experience will have that pullback of their tenants. And I think there's also been a big shift in a lot of the technologies too. Public health now obviously is priority number one physical distancing, social distancing, whatever you want to call that, verifying that and so on and so forth. So now it's not just about public health per se, but it's about the technology that you're implementing for ensuring public health and not just the technology, because you can't just throw technology at a problem and expect it to work. But we've seen so many failed pilots because of this case, because the company didn't, or the organization that was trying those pilots out, didn't have a strategy behind it. And so that's why even with COVID, the strategy is particularly challenging because this is a unique scenario in all meanings of the word unique truly is unique. You're right that a lot of those folks that focus on the short term now are going to suffer one way or another. Great stuff. I love what you're saying, and I agree 100%. One of my biggest customers is actually a construction company. I'm helping one of the decision makers for JE Dunn. So shout out to Sam Holt, who's the national smart building solution hero. And they want to build like smart from start. 
as well as go like early as on as possible. But of course, they are also in the hands of the owners as well as the owners' reps that advise them on how to meet the future, sometimes in the not the best way possible, I would say. I think that also comes back to sort of like the life cycle thinking, right? There's more focus on more on the total life cycle and what that means. And especially as well, what is the KPI? What is the vision? What is the mission? What is the strategy for any initiative? And if you have that, it's much, much easier to say, okay, how do these technology choices get us to where we need to be in five years? Or how do these technology choices bring out the outcome that we want to see? And for whom, right? I think that's very, very important. Security is something that would love to get into in some way, shape or form possible. So from that perspective, do you have to build smart from start? As in, of course, it's great to do that for construction companies or for owners, etc., but also for existing buildings. Is security something that people are talking about? Is it important? And why is it important? I think the short answer to your question is ideally, yes, you would want secure and smart from start, if you want to change that phrase. But it really depends on uh, where you get involved, right? I think ideally for building owners, yes, you should start from the beginning and really embed that security policy into the construction documents, into the design documents, and drive security from there. Going back to this whole discussion about lowest bid and the, the culture of the construction industry and how it is approached, one of the corners that contractors will cut is security, right? They won't focus on that additional layer. And this has become a huge issue in the last couple of years because as most systems are now IP-based, and they have been IP-based for more than a decade now, right? For more than 20 years. You see systems 25 years old, that have been on IP, but with existing buildings, obviously that life cycle, now it's pretty much most of the buildings that had legacy systems have been upgraded and now everything's IP. So because everything's IP, the folks that are the bad actors on the other side that are just looking for easy catches, this is the perfect playground. We have search engines that are crawling the internet out there for open IP addresses. And you'd be surprised if you check, you know, Census or Shodan, I'm sure you're aware of these tools, they're publicly available and you can find some names of some organizations that are recognized worldwide and you have all their facilities with open IP addresses just publicly available on the internet and click on those IP addresses, and you're at the login screen. Well, so it's so easy for a person that knows what he's doing to break into these systems. So for existing buildings, fortunately now, because they're, most of the buildings are existing, right? And the most of the systems that are out there are already deployed and the implementation is already done. So I think the conversation of smart from start doesn't really apply there. It can't, right, for cybersecurity. So fortunately enough, there are tools out there, solutions out there that cater to that existing building environment. And one of the partners that we work with is a solution that's sort of catered to that existing building environment where you don't have to change a thing. So if you have a bunch of DSL connections, this is probably common that you've seen too, you'll have anywhere from, you know, five to 10 different DSL connections, one for the one that the lighting vendors put in, one that the HVAC vendors put in, and nobody knows who's managing them. Sometimes nobody even knows who's paying the bill. And usually it's the building owner that's paying the bill for those. The partner that we work with is a company called Tempered Networks. Their solution fits the bill for this sort of an OT environment. And what the way that it works is that you leave your existing building network as it is. 
if you've got several different DSL, I mean, obviously it's in your interest to consolidate that, but if you can't, and many times it's not a question of whether you can or cannot, from a technical perspective, sometimes whether you want to, whether your management wants to make that investment to converge your network and consolidate. So the way Tempered Network works is that you can deploy their solution, and what it does is that it creates this network overlay on top of your existing building network, and then this overlays is using a protocol that's not the TCP IP protocol, right? It's using the HIP protocol. And it's not working on device IP addresses. It's working on device IDs. And so this overlay that is on top of your network then allows you to create a network that is essentially a true zero trust network, meaning that you can block off those different building systems from the outside and in your management tool that the solution provides, you can open uh, communication between the systems and even the devices. I mean, you can go really granular here, right? And you can open communication only between those devices that need to communicate. And I think this is essential because when you look at a traditional firewall approach, your firewall protects the perimeter of your organization. Right. But once that perimeter, no matter how good of a perimeter that is, I mean, think about a fort with a 10 foot wall or that's 100 feet high. But if someone gets in, they essentially have free access everywhere. Right. So zero trust is essential because then even if a person breaks through that firewall, they don't have access east west within the network. So I think that solution really fits. There, there, there are others out there as well that are catering to the built environment. I really love their solution. And I think like for me, the way I picture it, just yeah, you do whatever you want to do. Let's just put a cloak on it. And then if you want to do upgrades, you're free to do so, et cetera. But it's still going to happen underneath the cloak. And I think their benefits are that it's less expensive. It's much, much faster. And you don't have to have people like IT specialists managing the firewalls in place afterwards because it's a management tool they provide, right? So I think those three are the core things. But going circling back a little bit, I think it's interesting also to talk about sort of like the separation of IT, OT, IoT, if there is a separation to be done. Because when I was over in the US, I think it was actually last year at Backnet at the AHR Expo, I was listening in to the security discussions and how to do the separation, right? Because there, I think there was a lot of problem again with, okay, you're coming at it from the OT side. Now we got to talk to the IT department. They don't want to open up any ports or anything else. It takes six months. Nothing is going to happen, right? And what is your view about that perspective? Do you recommend having everything underneath like an IT layer as well as IoT, OT to have that sort of one API to the building? Or is it more like a separate OT network, more of an API play? Or what do you think about that? I would love to hear your point. This is something that I've been advocating for for a while now. Five or even more years ago, I wrote an article on the need for more IT skills for BAS operators and people who work with BAS, not just operators, right? Because these systems are IP-based, they're residing on corporate networks, it doesn't make sense to have this void between IT and OT. And I'm certainly on the camp that it needs to be one organization from a security perspective, from a setup perspective. And those traditional uh, modes of thinking and those traditional views that people have had about IT and OT 
need to change. I think IT folks need to understand the value of operational systems, of OT systems, operational technology systems. And I think that OT folks need to understand the concerns of IT. And it should really be one consolidated policy and one consolidated solution that any organization should have that covers both of these. To have things in silos can work, but it's only as good as the link between those two silos. So if you have everything under one roof, then, you know, that's definitely the way to go in the future. And the way that the building systems have evolved uh, also, I think we have to look at how technology is evolving. Everyone's moving towards an API-based model. So I think that that is an industry decision wherever, whenever it was made, and that's the direction we're heading to. And I think that that we should ride that wave and change the industry, especially the operational industry, the OT industry. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beyond Buildings podcast. Please share this episode if you think anyone else needs to know about how to make the world a more safe and secure place for everyone. And remember to like, comment and subscribe and also stay tuned for part two. Thanks again from your host, the smart world architect, Nicholas Wern.